can see me? <laughs> right. Um, yes, so good to uh, be speaking to you again this evening. And as you can see, the topic is Science of the Times. Earlier this morning, I was sharing about how um, without faith, it is impossible to please God from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Now, I'd like also for us uh, today, I just want to talk about faith. This morning, I talk, talked about faith for another, where your faith brings you to love uh, enough to intercede for the other person. This evening, I'd like to talk about the kind of faith that Jesus expects of us. Before I carry on, let us pray. Father, I want to thank you for this evening to be able to speak your word. And I pray, Lord, that you will continue to guide me and speak. Help me to speak, Lord, that which you want your children to know, that they may be encouraged, that they may be strengthened, Lord, to be built up in faith that pleases you, faith that moves mountains, and faith that will help them to endure and really run this path uh, and bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let us read this, uh, this verse together. One, two, three. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, this verse has really um, made me meditate very deeply. Um, when Jesus returns, will he find faith on earth? It gives you that feeling that faith is going to be like disappearing, like a mist, like Jesus really has to find faith. So it made me think very long and hard, are we really going to be a people who are going to turn cold in love for God and that he has to find faith? Because in the end, what's going to happen? There's going to be injustice. So let's go to the book of Hebrews. Now, you read uh, the, our scripture reading earlier, uh, read from uh, you know, the second half of uh, chapter 12. Now, chapter 12 of Hebrews, actually, uh, it begins uh, where we continues on from chapter 11. Now, we all know Hebrews 11 talks about what? The heroes, right? The heroes of our faith. So you've got all these heroes that the, the author writes about you know, one by one, he, he puts them into a beautiful, uh, you know, a, a, a very moving uh, chapter where he tells us, you know, these people, they are the ones with faith. So we, we look at them because they've gone before us. So in chapter 12, the first verse starts with therefore, because he refers to that. So therefore, there are three therefores in chapter 12. So let's start with the first one. So, okay, before I go on, how many of you love football? Okay, how many of you have watched a, a football stadium where everybody screams, goal? Yes? Doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm sure you have. Who, which is your favorite football team? Huh? Who is Liverpool? 
Oh, got Liverpool there. Who is Manchester United? Yeah. But can you <laughs> Manchester United? But can you imagine? Imagine, yeah, that we can worship God the way people scream, Go! You get what I mean? That joy. That 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 kind of you know, like these people, they, they literally say football is our religion. They literally say that. They go to the stadium on a Sunday, they worship the football stadium, and they go home, they feel good because their team won. Now imagine right now, we are in this big stadium where all the heroes of the faith, all the angelic hordes above are looking down at us. Okay? All right? And imagine, so he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, it means all those who have gone before us are like in a stadium looking down. And, and, and the author says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So imagine you're in an Olympic stadium this time. People are, are you know, all, all waiting for that, you know, 400 meters and, and, and the gun goes up, boom. And we're all waiting. All of us are shouting, okay, come on, run, run, run. Okay, we're all shouting. And you can see how these runners run. Do they put on jackets? They all wear just T-shirts, right? Some kind of special, uh, you know, those sports shirts. And they wear very little. The most important thing is to be able to beat the wind and run well. So he's telling us, okay, here, take it all off, you know. Right, and whatever that's going to stop you, he talks about sin, okay, and whatever things that, we, that, you, that makes it to be heavier, any weight that is so that we can run the race well, and of course to win it. Now let's take a look at verse 2. Looking to Jesus, how do we run this race? We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before us, endured the cross, despising the shame, and, it is, and he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So that's the first therefore. So let's take a look at the next therefore. Okay, so now this is in verse 12. Okay. I'm just going to go very quickly. So I hope that you will go back and read these two chapters, chapters 11 and 12. Okay, let's go for verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is... Can't see from here. So what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see God. So that's the second therefore. Let's take a look at the third therefore. Where does it come up? Okay, let's take a look at this. Let me read. Huh? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, you once more, I will, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, you okay, see this third therefore, 
Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, and for, for and uh, sorry, reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Wow. I don't think I will be able to actually give a sermon in 30 minutes on something that is so full. You may have to sit with me for two hours. Not, it won't happen, don't worry. Okay, so what can we get from these three therefores? Right, first one. Just from verse one, verses 1 to 3, what we can see is the call for us to run well in the, the Christian life is uh, given a metaphor of a race. We are to rid ourselves of sin and distractions. Now, you may say, sin is, I do all things good, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I've been very good. But one of the, the, the main things is that, actually, we'll read what Martin Luther said. All sin actually comes from one main thing, idolatry. There are things in our lives that control us, which are our desire for security, you know, for control, uh, for comfort, and for recognition, for influence. Those are our far idols that actually control us, which are like icebergs. And we think that we have overcome them, but really they are always staring at us. And that's why the Lord asks us to always go back and really uh, work out our salvation and to really look at what is our first love. We have many distractions today. Distractions include what? Things like in social media, right? Distractions are things that take us from fixing our eyes on Jesus, on what is to bring God's kingdom to come and for his will to be, to be done. Now, to run this race with faith, and endurance, how do we go about this? We make sure, number one, we take it off. Take off that which is a weight. That requires us for a lot of self-analysis. We need to sit down, meditate, and take time before God and really come honestly to Him. We need to look to Jesus as our ultimate example. So when we look at Jesus, what happened is that, you know, by the time he was on the cross and, he, he, and, and uh, he died, what did he leave behind was just what was on his body. You realize that he had no assets to talk about except the, the, you know, the linen that was, he was dressed in. And how would we then, you know, today in this modern world where we are so uh, particular about our security in our retirement. I have spent many years in investment banking and stockbroking, and I teach finance. And most of the time, I talk about how to have, you know, a very uh, strong, you know, uh, retirement fund, how to beat inflation. But I realized also that. What the world of finance teaches, and what the Bible teaches, runs counterculture to what the world teaches. God tells us to invest in heaven, to 
take everything aside and you know, give everything away, be generous with what you have. So this countercultural uh, view of money and security really runs smack into the life of faith of a Christian. And it's not easy for us, I must say, but it, these are times when we read these passages, we don't just read them through, but to realize that we really need faith, even that little bit of faith, to walk in a way where we trust God totally. How do we do that? Okay, so we see from here, this therefore, of course, links back to all the heroes of the faith, and he tells us, guys, be like them. Be like the heroes of the faith. Run this race. Take everything off. Make sure you win this race and make sure you fix your eyes on Jesus. That's how you're going to win this race. So persevere in faith. Second point, when you look further down from verse uh, 4 all the way to verse 11, you realize that he explains that these Christians then were facing persecution. And they must be wondering, you know, you know, how is it that we Christians suffer so much? And here the author explains that endurance comes through trials. I want to ask you, brothers and sisters in Christ, in your life as a Christian in Penang, have you suffered so terribly that you could say that you have faced trials? Most of us probably would have gone through personal trials or family or finance, but we've not gone through big trials where you are persecuted by the state to the point where you cannot even own a Bible. When we look at the China Christians, we look at them and we really marvel at their faith. When we look at them, we can see Acts 4 really come to life. They can say, we rejoice. Let me tell you, in 2020, I attended uh, KL 2020, which was a conference run in Kuala Lumpur for, uh, by the City to City Asia Pacific. And this particular conference had 5,000 China Christians coming in at the end of January. It was supposed to start on the second day of Chinese New Year. And if you remember, when did COVID begin? It was right then that it was actually going to explode. It had already exploded in China. So what happened was, I was quite amazed because this conference was on the second day of Chinese New Year. How many Malaysian Christians would go for a Christian conference on the second day of Chinese New Year. You tell me. Almost nobody would do that, right? But here comes all these 5,000. But because of COVID, those who were coming in from Wuhan were told not to come. So there goes 1,000. That leaves 4,000. The rest of them were asked, okay, please be careful, you know, follow all those procedures, but what happened was, in the end, only 3,000 came because their government stopped people from coming out as well. So during this four-day conference, which was run by Tim Keller's team, uh, we, we, we met D.A. Carson, we met some of the leaders of China's Christians. It was the first time I saw them face-to-face. -face. And it was nice to have Tim Keller there. 
And the first thing Tim Keller said was, brothers and sisters in Christ, persecution is real and it can only increase. What a way to start a conference. And let me tell you, after they returned, I didn't know this until uh, recently in November when I went for a church planting seminar. And someone shared with me who was in the organizing committee. 30 of them who went back, now out of the 3,000, 30 of them went back and were jailed. What happened was they ran through all their phones, all their laptops, and they found incriminating evidence that they had attended an illegal conference. I was like, ah, oh, they went to jail how long? Three years. Ah, oh, for attending that conference three years. He said, yeah. And they told me this, you know, the guy told me, he said, they told me that you don't worry about us, we are fine. In fact, we are rejoicing that we are counted worthy. My friends, if it happened to you and me, what are we going to do? I say, oh, so painful. Tom, oh, please pray for us. You know, we have never, ever been persecuted to the point where we can say we rejoice. It's so good to be standing together with Jesus. My Indonesian brother, he was scolding me. He said, you people, uh, one person goes missing, uh, yo kecho, kecho, kecho. we all 60 people die, all right? okay? 60 people die. What happened? We rejoice and we carry on. You people learn to be stronger. Lah. That's what he told me. We have not experienced that and we can say thank God for His mercy. But there comes a time, my brothers and sisters in Christ, where I'm sent to warn you to be prepared. We must be strong. And in, it's in these times, in these kind of trials, where our true faith is like shaking the tree, you know, see what kind of fruits will fall, whether durian or whether nothing falls down, okay? So remember, when God allows trials to happen, it is to refine us. And the Bible is very clear in this passage. Discipline is painful, but it is fruitful. It is intended to make us stronger. It's just like having a tree in a greenhouse. You don't plant trees in a greenhouse. They would be stunted. You have to plant a tree in outside on on the open to you know nature open to uh, strong sunlight open to rain open to wind then we know whether the tree can survive because that tree will have to grow strong roots so as the word of god says yes when we are being disciplined it is not because God doesn't love us, but it is the evidence of God's love. And this evidence of God's love, when we undergo trials, it brings righteousness and peace. That is the promise from God. So he tells us, just like he told the Jewish Christians in, uh, you know, in, that, in that early church, that endurance through suffering is the way for us 
to actually run this race. Thirdly, from verses 12 to 17, we see that the intention of the, 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 the discipline is to bring us to peace and holiness. Now, holiness is a word that's constantly mentioned. You've got to be holy because God is holy. But to many of us, holiness is like a concept in our heads. What does it really mean to be set apart for God? Well, the author adds, you are to pursue unity with one another, avoiding bitterness and sexual immorality. So there is an outward expression of holiness. And there is also an inward expression of holiness. So this, therefore, of course, links to the previous passage that tells us to endure, although it is painful. And the result of that, and that pain, that discipline, brings about peace and a holiness. The third point, which is the last bit from verses 18 to 29, very big passage, is that our hope, now, why is it that we can endure? Why is it that we would go through this process of refining? It's because we have a hope in an unshakable kingdom. That is our inheritance. What the world sees, like in a sense, just now we were praying for El Nino. What the world sees will be El Nino. What will the world will see is natural disasters. But what we will see is the incoming kingdom of God because everything will have a reason right to the end. So everything you see in this passage, especially in verse 27, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. What does that mean to us? That means whatever we call and consider to be secure and comfortable will be insecure, will be uncomfortable. Everything we have will be turned upside down. Now, if you're watching the news every night, you would see that in the US, banks are failing, right? Now, if the banks fail, what are the implications? I'm watching it, you know, because of my past training and work. I would naturally read that. I'm going like, hmm, I wonder if this would create another 2008 crisis. Is it going to be worse? Is it, this is worse than subprime? And the whole problem is that the rising interest rates, what's that gonna how is that going to impact the world? Now, even in Malaysia, we see that even Bank Nagara had no choice but to raise our uh, OPR by another 25 basis points to 3%. It's because they say that the economy is doing well. But I can tell you, I've seen in the past, just a mere 25 basis point increase can actually affect the livelihood of the people and they would definitely struggle. I know that. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But the promise we have, we should not be fearing this. The promise we have is that we are going to inherit a kingdom that cannot be destroyed, cannot be shaken. That's the promise that we have. So we are then... Should we should be in a position of real joy and give him the acceptable worship that is due to him. What is acceptable worship in this case? It's our whole self because we are intended to be a living sacrifice. 
when the Lord burns us, he's, because He's a consuming fire, He's terrifying. And when He consumes us, if we are a holy and living sacrifice for Him, we would not be burned up. So here comes this beautiful hope at the end of the passage that we are to carry on to endure because we have such an unshakable hope. We have such a great promise. Now, this talk is entitled Sign of the Times. So when we talk about what can be shaken will be shaken, we are really talking about what's going to happen soon in the end times, right? happen end times. And that affects how we pray. We know that the, the Bible teaching of the end times has got four parts to it. There's description of the end of the age, how it looks like. There's a, of course, we know that Jesus will return. We're looking forward to that. There will be a final judgment. And there will also be a new heaven and a new earth. Everything that is on earth will be shaken, will be destroyed, and we will have a new heaven and a new earth. So that comes back to how we live our lives then. There must be question marks. Are we still going to, you know, build up and, and store assets on earth? And that was what Jesus asked. So when we talk about signs of the times, there are two big bits here. First, we see on one hand what will happen to the people of God there will be great persecution and suffering. And on the other hand, you have the fulfillment of the Great Commission, that we have a focus, we will save as many as possible from the gates of hell, even though we are being attacked by the, the, the spiritual, in the spiritual realm. There are six things I want to bring to you whenever we talk about signs of the times, and we can find it in Matthew chapter 24. Go read that, okay? So very quickly, what you will see in Matthew chapter 24 is that we will have more wars and more natural disasters. There will be a breakdown of the solar system. It's not about Earth only. You're going to have you know, all these asteroids and all the moon and the stars all going dark. and you know, uh, You're going to see a lot of things happening. So the solar system will break down. It's going to be quite scary, don't you think? We will see false prophets and false messiahs. There will be great persecution on the church. And at the same time, the sad thing is that the love of all will grow, love of many will grow cold. And this is, this is something for us. Something that for us to really consider in our hearts and ask ourselves, is our love growing cold? Okay. Next one, there will be great distress unequaled since the beginning of time. And last but not least, the gospel will be preached to the end of the world. So there's one thing that we have a job to do is to focus on marching forward and bringing the gospel to as many as we can, to save as many as we can. Now, just very quickly in Matthew 24, verse 29 to 31, when we look at here, we know one thing for sure. Jesus will return. Jesus will return in all his glory. He returns in power. But you know what is interesting? Here. In the... Oh, do you see this? Okay, here, reading here, yeah? Okay. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of earth will mourn. 
will mourn. There will be many, many people, maybe millions, all, he said all, you know. All the tribes of the earth will mourn. Jesus' return is not going to be welcomed because the prince of this world doesn't want him back. And he will do everything he can to delay his return. Okay? They are actually mourning, and we are the only ones who are rejoicing. And this is where the beautiful part comes, where we will be gathered. Are we in and among God's elect, or are we going to mourn because we are not ready? Okay? And another passage that you can look at when you, you know, when you talk about signs of the times, a lot of people look at it, but many people talk about when and all that. No point talking about when and all that. It's more like, um, am I ready anytime? Am I ready? Okay? So, 2 Peter 3.10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works are done, that are done on it will be exposed. One thing we know for sure, there will be cataclysmic events that will shake the foundations of the earth. Everything coming back to Hebrews, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. If you want a sign of the times, this is what you will see right there staring at us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 27. Anything that can be shaken will be shaken. And the only one thing that cannot be shaken is what? God's kingdom. That's the only thing that cannot be shaken. Only the kingdom of God will remain. So what, how are we to respond to this? We are told, Jesus tells us, keep watch. And second, he tells us, be ready. Two big words, two, two important things to do, big actions. How do you keep watch? How do you be ready? Okay? First thing we see in, I mean, when we look at Hebrews, we are told, that, right, that the discipline brings us to be at peace and to bring holiness. So I want to ask you this question, you know. What does holiness mean in our everyday living? How does it look like, right? Well, we know one thing. Holiness means to be set apart. Set apart meaning we are dedicated, not 99%, but 100% to God. In, in, in that sense, it means you have to be 100%. You've got to decide, are you for the world or for God? You cannot have one leg in the world and one leg for God. You cannot have that. It's only one master, only God. It is an inward attitude of reverence and awe towards God. It is also an outward expression of your obedience to His commands in His Word. So, then... I would say this, if I had to explain how holiness looks like, I would say this, the vision is Jesus. When I look at you, will I see Jesus? Can I see the beauty of Jesus in you? The example of Jesus in you? You know, most of us, I, I, I won't say which church, I was in this church, and after service, there's this Great scramble. There was a 9 a.m. service and an 11 a.m. service. So that 9 a.m. service, guys, you know, the moment church is over, Zoom, they go out. Then they get blocked by, the car gets blocked by the 11 a.m. service. 
and he goes into a full rant. I had such a laugh. I said, you know what? Our Christian look only lasted one hour and it was inside the service. It didn't even survive five minutes out there. And most of us, it's only a show. Sadly, that's the truth. And if that was a good test, I would ask a question. Can I see Jesus? Will I see Jesus in you? Will I see the beauty of Jesus in you? Right? That gentleness, that kindness. So it's like the, what the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is really Jesus. Right? So the, the pursuit of, of holiness, honestly, is not something that we can do ourselves. Yes, we obey God, but we're going to fail. The Holy Spirit must work powerfully in us. We must let Him work through us and in us. So it is the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, it is a fruit of faith. Well, this, I was focusing on faith because when you have faith, your faith will lift you, even your little bit of mustard seed faith, your faith will lift you to believe in Jesus and the transforming work of the Holy Spirit and know that He is continuing to sanctify you in this journey of faith before you are glorified. So it is the work of God's grace in our lives. Actually, when we look at our heart, our heart is so deceitful. So we really have to ask the Lord to search our hearts, expose everything in us that we may daily repent. I call this the daily dance. To repent, come back in faith, and be filled with love for Him and for His family, His children, and for the lost. As we trust in Jesus Christ and obey His commands, it's like a nice little circle. It brings us back to really working out our faith and our holiness. So, to cut it simple, holiness is really, can I see, will I see Jesus being expressed in your life? When I look at Jesus, when I look at you, I say, whoa, I can really see Jesus in this person. That gentleness, that kindness, that loving, you know, that loving look, that patience, you know, less ranting. So if you're somebody can be ranting less and all that. Oh, I was telling a story during training about my aircon, my car aircon problem. I brought my car to the air conditioning guy. Round one, I had to stay a few hours because he was very popular. He just put in gas. It didn't even last, you know, a week. So I had to go back again. I said, you know, it didn't work. So I had to wait for a few more hours, and then he did something with it. I don't know what, okay? So I had to spend a few hours, and then I came back again, my third time, because it didn't work. I said, you know what? It doesn't work. Whatever you did earlier, it doesn't work. So you really need to sort out my car aircon. So I sat there again in the kopitiam for a few hours, and then I come back. And then before I pay my bill, as I'm paying for it, he asks me, come, 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 come closer. Then I asked him, what is it? He took, he took a look at me and he said, are you a Christian? Why are you a Christian? He said, are you a Christian? He didn't say, are you a Christian? He said, why are you a Christian? <gasps> what a shock. I never told him I'm a Christian. He asked me, why am I a Christian? You know, 
and I had to reply him in Cantonese, and my Cantonese is half past six. How do you give, you know, uh, an answer at that point? It's not a five-minute sermon. Why am I a Christian? He's got no time for you. He's very busy. So I looked at him in the eye, and, and at the same time, I'm saying, Lord, help. I need words. So I opened my mouth, and I said in Cantonese, Do you understand that? No. I, but what, basically, what it means is, because he is the true God. So he, 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 he barked back at me. How can you be sure he's the true God? I said, I'm stuck. So I replied him. I said, well, that's because uh, you will know for sure. Because you have experienced him, you know he's a true God. So now I get curious. So I look at him and then, of course, I, I, and then this time I turn around and I said, why do you ask me this question? It's not because he saw Jesus in me. How would I know what he saw in me? Okay? And what I'm trying to tell you is a different thing. So he said, because you know, my friend, he is an along. If you borrowed money from him, you're finished, you're dead. You know, you're in the worst trouble if you don't pay him. I said, then? He suddenly changed. He's now the kindest person, nicest person. I don't understand what's going on. So I asked him. I said, so what happened? He said he became a Christian. I said, hallelujah. You see now? I told you, see now what the true God does? He changes a person. Turns everything upside down. Then he was like, oh. And of course, he gave me my money. Okay? So this is the one time I told myself, why my car? No track, no Chinese track, no Chinese Bible. It was empty. There was nothing in the car. So this was the first time I really had a different kind of prayer. Lord, would you make my aircon spoil so that I can come back and have an excuse to go and see him again? But I did come back to him. And uh, I gave him, you know, I, 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 was, I was scrambling. I asked all my Chinese-speaking friends, get me a Chinese Bible, get me, you know, get, uh, get me tracks, you know, et cetera, et cetera, just bring over. And, and they gave it to me. And I found an excuse to go back. And the interesting, one was, th- interesting thing was, he never, I, actually he asked, he told me this, you take the car, and if there's anything wrong with it, you bring it back, okay? Okay. And he told me, you pay me, the, the, you pay me only after everything is okay. I said, fine. Instead of me WhatsApping him, this time the busy aircon man WhatsApps me, sends me the message. Is your car okay? Then I said, very okay. How much is it? No need to pay. Never know. He didn't say no need to pay. He said, uh, he didn't reply at all. I went back to see him. And he looked at me, he said, Basically, he's basically saying, you are a pastor. I said, no, I am not the pastor. And he said, I said, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. You know, but what is beautiful is not me. What is beautiful is that he saw something in his along friend, that Jesus transformed him into a person he could no longer recognize. There was something that had changed drastically, a transformation in the person that he had turned from being evil and bad and mean to a good man and a kind man. That, my friend, is how holiness looks like. 
So when we pursue holiness, people can see. So what am I going to tell you? Well, my friends, what D.A. Carson, uh, the great theologian, uh, modern theologian, what we need to do is be intentional. Let me read this to you. People do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. And we drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and we call it faith. Okay? We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and decide and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. My friends, it's so important for us to really take stock of ourselves because the Lord will turn up anytime. We don't know when. He comes as a thief in the night. Don't be a person who's going to mourn when Jesus returns. Whatever, even if we are in ministry, whatever we do, it will also be tested and refined because God is a consuming fire. If we offer God, you know, hay, it will be burnt up. Only that which is holy, that which is done in obedience, will, be, will not be consumed by the Lord. Therefore, I must challenge you to build spiritual stamina. You will, know, you will never get to be holy if you don't put in discipline. You cannot win a marathon if you don't start running, right? You can't do that. You ask the marathon runners. They start one hour, two hours, then they start going four hours training. You need to be intentional and sincere. A prayerless life is actually a sinful life because you are saying, I don't need you, God. I need you only when I need you. I need you on my terms. So prayerlessness is a grave sin. So I would like to challenge you to learn this. Go and learn how to pray one hour because that was what Jesus told the disciples. Could you not watch and pray for one hour? That's all he asked. And that is the basic one-on-one, the discipline that comes with listening to him and living out a life that is prayerful. Because if you don't talk to him, how would you know him and how would he know you as well? Because prayer is really talking to God. Otherwise, it's all activity only. Okay? Exercise your spiritual muscles. And when you do that, when you take God seriously, See what God will do when you take him seriously. Be prepared for audacious things to happen when you take his promises seriously. Let's come back to this as I close. And will not God give justice to his elect? My friends, we will see injustice. And when we see that happening, we will get down on our knees and God is looking for those who will cry day and night to him. 
cry out to him, Lord, would you not bring your justice? And the Lord says, will he delay long over them? He loves us, he won't. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Comes back to us. If we have faith, we will commit to at least, you know, living out that, that one hour simple thing to do per day. You know, we tithe our money. What about our time? What is one hour in a 24-hour day? 4%. I give you eight hours of sleep. What is one hour out of 16 hours? 6%. Friends, it's not even 10%. Let us not deny God the time that is due to Him because it is really showing us whether we love Him or not. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, let us look to Jesus who is there. He is the finisher of our faith. He's the perfecter of our faith. Look to Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Don't look anywhere else. Don't be distracted. Take off all the weight and run after him. And I pray for you that you will finish this race well and do far better than anyone like me, okay? I want you to flourish. I want you to do well. I want you to read. I want the whole, all the cloud of witnesses who are now cheering for you. They're cheering for you. Therefore, run the race well. Thank you very much.